Welcome to this episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with me is co-host Justin Subinski. We're very happy to welcome back Vikram Seth to the podcast this week. Vikram has brought spirituality to a corporate juggernaut called Shell. So Vikram, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony, Justin. Good to see you guys, especially Justin without the ponytail on the back of his head. <laughs> yeah, it took him a while. Vikram, one of the things we talked about last time, which is like five or six months ago, was bringing uh, meditation to uh, Shell, the place you're currently uh, working. We we can talk about that, or actually we can talk about anything you wanted to talk about. Um, so I'll leave it open to you. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so maybe we can start with that one. It's not really, I guess this isn't uh, an area like that I'd probably want to fully define myself as, but since I'm working in Shell, and since I'm so you know interested in meditation and spirituality, it's a natural kind of desire to bring that kind of approach and mindset and thinking and meditation as a tool into the place that I'm spending, you know, eight hours a day at least. And also going into this, you know, going going back into office life and corporate life after taking time out, you get a bit of a better perspective. So when I went back in, it was really seeing uh, that, there's not really that many people who are exposed to meditation. Forget about even the spirituality side, just the practical benefits of it. So, so like I was saying, so when we were starting off, a lot of the interest within, I guess, the corporate environment is, it's not about the spirituality side. It's more about the health benefits. So that's, it took me a little while to kind of figure out how do I even approach this. So I really spent like the first six months or so being back in trying to see where the angles are and where are the right channels to bring this in. So I started off just by, you know, sharing some of the tools and techniques and having, you know, short meditation sessions with my team. So just like a small team of five, six people. And I was quite surprised that actually they enjoyed it to the point where one of my you know, team members, when he was quite stressed out, he said, oh, Vikram, you know, like, why don't, uh, you know, in our next team meeting, can you can you do one of your little meditation sessions? So I was like, wow, okay. So people are actually asking me for this now. So that was a nice sign. Also, because, you know, there's this big disconnect between, you know, when you're in that kind of corporate environment, as much as they kind of push to, for you to bring your whole self, you you don't, because it's just a very different atmosphere to yeah you know there's there's it's very goals driven it's very focused on uh, delivering certain results which you wouldn't necessarily allow to make space for you know sitting down quietly for a couple of hours a day like it doesn't necessarily make sense like objectively it doesn't necessarily make sense if you don't see the connections or understand the benefits because it would sound counterintuitive that oh you're actually going to be better at performing at work if you are not doing anything for two hours, <laughs> so why the hell are we paying you? Um, so, but then, but then that misses the point of all of it because it's also looking at it at, uh, from a very direct approach, and and direct approaches are not always. That's not always how things actually work because you miss what's going on underneath the surface, and actually, you know, taking those two hours out. It's like you know, if you're really stressed out, you're not, and you're trying to work on a problem and figure out a solution you're not really going to get anywhere. So if you, you know, that's why we always hear these things. It's just obvious, right? You like, take a deep breath, get up and go for a walk. But that's the whole point. That's the meditation is doing the same thing. 
going back into yourself, disconnecting from the outside world, from at least from your like from your disconnect your sort of cognitive perception of the outside world and just let it go and let it be as it is. You're not trying to solve any problem. You're not trying to come up with a solution or find a goal or, you know, fulfill some objective. You're just being. And in that being, you can allow even a work-related problem or, you know, like intellectual problem that you're working on, you can allow that to just come up if it needs to. And that's from that's from purely looking at the like product uh, how productive are you at work. Then there's all the other health benefits of that, and there's the then there's the whole spirituality side, etc. So so where I've got at the moment is you know recently again from the health angle a couple of weeks ago there's uh, on a Monday it was called Blue Monday, and that's supposedly been statistically determined to be the most depressing day of the year because it's like the second Monday of January. So it's like cold and dark, at least in London. Um, and that's it. Like you, you just had your sort of festive period finished and the next bright thing you can look forward to is Easter four months away, something like that. So that was a nice kind of like inroad to say, okay, well, if this is the most depressing day, and uh, then we know that's a mental health issue. So let's go in from the mental health point of view. So we did a meditation session. And in doing that, I sort of, I, I came across that there's actually, you know, like another lady who's all, also running meditation sessions and mindfulness sessions within Shell. So yeah, it's like building the tribe, finding the like-minded people, and then causing a stir. But the thing is that I think the approach I'm taking now is uh, attract the people who are interested Rather, you know, rather than trying to push anything on anyone, because that will never work anyway. You know, people people are coming to these meditation sessions because they're interested in the mental health aspect of it. They're interested in just stepping out from their day-to-day working environment. But then there are also people who are coming who have done Vipassana a couple of times. They've done like the 10-day retreats and or they're regular meditators or they've just read books by like Sam Harris and you know they're just really interested from an intellectual point of view and they want to actually experience it or they've you know used headspace but then they'd like to come and have a guided session so that was really interesting when we sort of had a bit of a sharing session at the end of uh, of this meditation session we ran where you had all these different ideas and opinions and reasons of why people came and you know at the end people left and they're like oh okay what was that book you mentioned oh sam harris okay let me go and check it out and the, those kind of things where you basically you know sam harris is a neurosurgeon and writing you know writing about his experiences of meditation so then yeah it, it you know gives that mainstream credibility of this isn't some wacko spirituality thing which you have to basically spend six months kind of like getting your head around or like being part of some subculture to understand how do you take it out of that and bring it into the mainstream? So from that point of view, I think it's quite good that there's all of this, uh, you know, like neuroscientific research and all of the you know, headspace and all of that, which basically, yeah, fine, it, it shows you benefits at the surface level, but then that gives people an inroad uh, to then go deeper. And also, you know, one of one of my friends who helped me to organize this thing, she was actually very skeptical about the whole thing. But because I've been going on about meditation to her for ages, she then finally came, you know, she well, she helped to organize the session. And then in the session, at the end of it, she said, oh, you know, I'm actually a little bit less skeptical because it was obvious that my heart rate slowed down. It was obvious that, you know, I could actually feel the air on my skin where I never 
you know, you never even think about that. You're just going, going through, and, and especially, you know, in a corporate environment where, you know, you're, you're working for someone else, you've got a million people around you, you're in an open plan office, you can't even control the air conditioning, you know, like you can't open the windows, you're stuck in front of a computer all day long. You, you might think twice about getting up and, you know, going for a walk for half an hour because you might think that, you know, my job's in jeopardy because my manager's thinking I'm not doing any work or something. So do you really think you've got a chance to sit and feel the air on your skin or, you know, like feel the ground underneath your feet? It, yeah, is you're too occupied with all this shit going on, external stuff going on and other people's opinions of you and your deliverables and all of this stress just piles up that it's a nice excuse that someone else has created a meeting and stuck it in your calendar and it happens to be meditation where you've got like a legitimate reason to disappear from your desk now because the health department of the company has set something up. So it's kind of make it as easy as possible and as accessible as possible to people. And yeah, I think that that's uh well, there's a couple of avenues that I want to approach, but I think that the important thing is that um, for you, Vikram, it's really not about where you are in your life. This is what you want to express to other people and you, and this is what you want to expand in the world. So it wouldn't matter if you were um, in the Himalayas, it wouldn't matter if you were in the, uh, in uh, a company like Shell, you, this is what you're going to be expressing and exuding. And therefore it's going to catch on because you have all the, the facts on your side. Like this stuff does help. This stuff, stuff does make you smarter, does make your mental health better. And I would just see you doing this anywhere. It wouldn't, you'd be on the streets and you'd be doing it. You'd be in anywhere. And, and that's awesome. That's like, that's called like the great work. And that's, that's what, um, that's what we love to see. Um, and then also you brought on the, the part about mental health. And I think that that's such a big topic because there is an opportunity to get in there with, with uh, spirituality and meditation and everything. And then, um, the biggest thing though, is that you don't realize cause you can't see it. Um, so like when somebody has a mental issue, um, one, they only have one mind. So, it, so they don't, they're not even hundred percent sure that they have a mental issue because they're not seeing it. Also, it's like, anytime somebody has a mental issue, you, you just have to put them in, in your mind as somebody with a broken leg and you wouldn't expect somebody with a broken leg to be able to run a three mile marathon. So, and, and that's, that's kind of how I've been able to look at, at this, this issue of, of mental disorders and issues uh, mentally and, and to be able to approach it without being judgmental and being like, how are you not understanding this? It's like, hmm. like, cause there, there's something wrong there. And just cause you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. And so I think that that's a, a really good avenue to, to approach. Um, and then, also on top of that, the, the stress levels that you were talking about put you into a state where you're, you're in mental distress. And all that you have to do is to just stop for a few minutes a day and, and just and recollect yourself and let, and let your body realize that you've been thinking about the exact same thing for 12 straight hours. And it's like, yeah. it's time to turn that off. Yeah, exactly. Just to go down a little different avenue, but like a parallel one. Go for um, it. So actually I see... Uh, that I'm doing the same, a similar kind of thing in the avenue of dance as well, because so teaching, you know, Bhangra classes, North Indian folk dance, you know, mixed with hip hop. Basically, that's, you know, like for me and my brother teaching this stuff is just loads of fun. Right? But again, the way that I see this is making it accessible again. So it's like a tool that I have for myself, which is for me, it's like a powerful energy release. It's very high energy, powerful, um, uh, uplifting, celebratory North Indian folk dance. Then 
then you know mix it up with hip hop, which is you know another like music style I've grown up with. But then obviously that that you've already bridged two kind of worlds there. You've bridged like you know folk in you know North Indian folk with you know like modern hip hop. So already that makes something that makes each of those act more accessible to the other side. And then the whole reason we started this stuff up, the, these classes up, and teaching all of this was because, like, some practical issues around accessibility. The fact that you know when you know when I had taken my year off from work, um, and you know when I was in London and I wanted to sort of do the dancing and all of this, and you know, when I looked at classes, they were just they were nowhere close by. So that's just a purely like practical. You know, it's more accessible if you do something in the center of the city than somewhere else far off. But from the other side of it, it was that um, if you weren't a prof- if you're not a professional, or you don't want to become a professional dancer, or you don't want to perform in uh, you know like high high level shows, then your only real option for bhangra dancing after university is basically at parties and weddings. So it's like. Well, good luck, you know, wait for the next party or wedding that someone organizes. And even there, like, you know, you're going to be in a club or something or like on a dance floor in a wedding with a million people just packed around. So you're not really able to express yourself and move your body as much as you want. So our whole idea was, well, we just want to like put like a fun like exercise class where you can basically just use the music, allow it to, you know, flow through your body to express yourself and allow that energy to flow through you. And literally, you know, put it somewhere where, uh, you know, put it in a location that's accessible to people, get rid of all of the thing around you're going to do some high-level performance so that basically anyone can come, any levels. And, and again, the whole point of that is, like, here's a tool that we found which is really powerful, physical activity. Just, like, we are in bodies. <laughs> we might, even if you're, even if you're the most intellectual person ever, your brain is stuck inside your body. So you need to make use of that body and you need to, and, and it's so connected that right? we express emotion through our body. It like, again, coming back to that whole thing of like mental health, mental health is also very strongly connected with physical health. Again, like, you know, I was saying that, you know, you can use meditation or, you know, if you're stuck with a problem or something or you, you, know, you can sit down and you know, step back from the problem by sitting down quietly, but you can also go outside and, you know, moving around, moving your body, walking, jumping around. Like we already know this. It's obvious to us. Like we know and we hear it from, you know, health practitioners and doctors and everything, uh, you know, from national health services all the time. Like, you know, you need to exercise X amount of time per week and whatever. So, Again, there's like a obvious kind of health and physical benefit of it, but there's a massive emotional and spiritual aspect of that as well. And you can't separate any of these things. So dance is, you see dance in all cultures and you see dance as a, in all religions as well. You see that as a, it's it, music and dance is a spiritual expression of the perfection of, you know, or the feeling of the divine or the expression of the divine. And it's something so unique to us. So it's like, how do you make this stuff as accessible as possible? And f- you know, try and remove all the labels of I'm not a dancer or like, you know, I, oh, dancing is for, I don't know, women or dancing is for, I don't know, whatever. Like, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a sport or, you know, like it's all of these kind of things or like you have to be good at it. It's like, you don't, you don't, if you look at sort of, uh, 
you know, tribal groups uh, where they use dancing and singing to kind of, as a community, as, as sort of like a way to uh, strengthen the bonds between their community. If you watch those kind of things of, you know, like tribes in like South America or some tribes in Africa or, you know, but, but, but even if you look at like, you know, English folk music and uh, that kind of thing, like you know, from a couple of hundred years ago as well, like how, like we, there's no question of like you're, you need to be good at it. Everyone just does their own thing, right? You, you know, the kind of central uh, melody or central theme or whatever the basic moves are of, of your, you know, of whatever that group's uh, dance or whatever their signature thing is. And then basically everyone just does their own little version around that. So then, you know, you see these kids dancing with these old people and, you know, nobody really cares because they're all doing their own thing because the whole point is it's a self, it's a form of self-expression and it brings everyone together and it's joyous and uplifting. So, yeah. And, uh, well, just from my, my own perspective of, of, of dance and music, you know, uh, I was just telling Anthony yesterday that, um, it, he broke my heart because, um, he, he told me that he had stopped playing guitar and apparently he was really good. Oh. They stopped playing for like six years. And like the, there is a massive connection between, um, music and the flow of the universe and all this stuff and, um, and, and how all this stuff it interconnects that you just naturally get when you dance or have an understanding of music and, uh, and, and you're in tune. And from my perspective, I remember distinctly when I was younger, I used to do, uh, swing dancing. And I was never very good, but there was a distinct difference between how my mind was functioning when I was on the side of the dance floor, looking at everyone dancing and watching all the awkwardness of two people swing dancing who aren't professional and haven't been working together and, and everything and judging and judging constantly. And then next thing you know, somebody grabs you and you go on and you're doing your own thing and you're completely in, in focused on the music, focused on one singular thing. You're concentrating, you're paying attention, you're not judging anything. There's no time to because you have the, the next step and everything. And, um, there's, it's meditative. And that, I mean, that's the definition of meditation, focusing on one single thing and to have that and to have it so natural and throughout your entire body. So it's not just your mind that, uh, that you're, you're keeping still. It's like, you're, you're flowing through it. You're doing the constant motion of, of the fact that everything is in motion and you're constantly moving and, and you're moving in a rhythm and a focused, uh, rhythm. It's, it's extremely meditative and, uh, definitely something that it's exciting that, that you're doing that and coaching that. That's, cool. that's probably the best way to, to get uh, someone like out of out of the like into the nail, right? And out of their head. Um, and they'll always kick and scream as you drag them yeah. onto the floor, as as you did, I'm sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's why we had to chop your ponytail off. <laughs> one, thing, one thing you said, Justin. So like um, you said about you mentioned about uh, you know this is it's a way of connecting with the universe and etc yeah so but just the word universe when we're talking about like how fundamental music is the word universe and i'm sure you probably know the etymology of this better than i do but like i've only told anthony like 50 times but yeah, yeah. You, you, you can have the honors yeah so you know it, it's there in the word right uni one verse mm-hmm. one verse we're all Okay, so now this takes this, you know, this takes my mind into just the whole conversation about vibration and frequency, mm. right? So, and this is again the same thing. So, one verse, the entire everything in existence is at its core following one verse, and you know, there's one song, yeah. one song, one verse. So, so that ties in with you know the Hindu concept of Om, which I won't even really call it as a Hindu concept, but it's just most prominent in Hinduism and. In, in Sikhism as well, but you know the the concept of Om that essentially 
there is this underlying frequency that is causing, that is, let's say, at least associated with all of existence, and that frequency is Om. And you know, when you when you chant that, uh, when you chant Om, you're connecting with that frequency and you're resonating at the same frequency. And actually, when you do that, it feels very pleasant. It feels very, you know, but but also it's um, it's been shown to be restorative in terms of health as well and it, so and and for me like you know this stuff where when when we yeah it sounds like for me it sounds very scientific and very clear and i'd love people to do more research like well i mean i can do that right now so the way the way what i was going to interject on originally when you started talking about that is if you want to look at this from a like a western uh, left brain scientific way just study the poly exclusion principle all atoms are constantly vibrating and nothing's at rest and they're constantly vibrating. But really what they're doing is oscillating. And the difference between um, an atom uh, intermingling with another atom is this exclusion principle. The reason why I can't, like if I try to put my hand on the table and I don't phase through the table, since all these things, since this isn't an actual physical thing, there isn't any solidity in the universe. The thing that's uh, pushing me away is this exclusion principle because my hand is not vibrating or dancing the same way that the table is. And that, that, and since they're not moving in the same or oscillating the same way, they're resisting each other. And you're actually just resisting. The table is resisting you. You're never actually touching it simply because they're, they're doing a different dance. Like, so you're constantly like, this is a universal principle that everything is constantly dancing. And when you connect with something that's doing the same motion as you, you, you actually, you, you incorporate it completely in, into your being. Mm. And it's, um, I mean, it, it's literally right there in the, it, it's just different ways of, of explaining the exact same phenomenon. Yeah. Um, one is extremely confusing and then the other one just kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And and that's the whole principle of which, you know, I'm not really articulating in that way, but it's the philosophy and the feeling behind it of the, what I was talking about for the dance classes, right? The, it's more just like, here is how I interpret this. All right. Let me create a class where I can try and show other people uh, how I interpret it and just let them kind of interpret it in their own way. But the whole idea is, I don't really care if you're doing the moves right. That's not the point, really. The point is, there's this powerful music. Connect with the music and let it let it move you. I'll show you moves. You know, I'll teach you something uh, <laughs> because we have to feel like we have some structure to move around. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we're all over the place and we're taught and conditioned in that way, uh, which is fine. That's good. That's nice. Because you need a little structure. You need a little structure. We need structure. <laughs> Otherwise, like if you didn't have a spine, then the whole thing would be jelly. So <laughs> I'll give you the spine. And, you know, I'll even give you some ribs and whatnot. But uh, <laughs> then the point of it is take that and absorb and resonate with that frequency yourself and you create your own song you create your own dance and and you know i'm doing that literally but the the concept is the same for you know the way you can think about life and the way you think about your own life and then like yeah it's and, and this is i think where meditation is also important and powerful because then you because most of the time we're basically resonating uh, now I'm talking conceptually, but like we're resonating at the frequency of what we've been fed, basically, right? So what everything already... So here's the structure of general society. So, you know, uh, go to school. And what are you learning at school? You know, whatever you're being told to learn. It's 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 at a parallel from what you... You know, it may have nothing to do with what you're actually interested in 
innately gifted at it's point you know it's, there's no there's no correlation necessarily you might be lucky and you absolutely love the subjects and the you you fit perfectly you know with the kind of left brain approach that you're being taught at with um <laughs> indoctrinated but, is actually the term of being taught <laughs> exactly. at. yeah but then uh, you know so but then the point is so by meditating and doing that you're you're creating that space between yourself and what's out there so that you can figure out what the hell your frequency even is and connect with that and then live from there there's obviously so many steps and it's not that easy and it's you know it takes a decent amount of separation and courage as well to sort of go against that especially if you're constantly being fed the same tune which is you know at odds that way with where you are and this has been becomes interesting from like point of view of like so if you're constantly living according to a different tune which is not resonating with you literally you know you're that's the, well that's again like the definition of where stress is coming from and that's where you know ultimately that can lead to well so you know the the sort of chain of causation is you know if you're constantly stressed out you're you're literally you know you're weakening your immune system you become uh, more susceptible to disease and therefore you know you're more likely to contract some disease or other and since your immune system is already weak not only have you contracted it but you're less able to fight it once you've contracted it and that's it so now you're you've made yourself ill by dancing to a different tune well actually i think what you've done is you made yourself ill by dancing to the general term in society right and when you say different you mean that you're dancing against the the tune that you feel inside you exactly right? that you feel inside you yeah yeah, yeah so, the, i'll give schools the credit where they give you a, a specific tune that basically equates to mediocrity in my mind and uh and, and it's okay to be mediocre and and that constitutes about 80 percent of the of the class but then there's this 10 percent of the group that is that does not resonate with mediocrity and wants to be extremely successful and, and all of this stuff um and then there's this other 10 percent of the group that um is not resonating with it at all and, and is is lacking of, of uh, intelligence to to understand to to get to a point of, of mediocrity and it could be a lack of discipline and all sorts of things but the fact is is that there's a huge proportion of the population that is not in line with uh with the song that's being played uh in schools and these two portions of the populations happen to be the most important ones it's the one that's going to drive us forward the fastest and also the one the ones that need the most help and um, the reason why I'm always harping on the schools so much is because they're leaving out the two most important groups, in my opinion. The middle of the road people, they're going to be fine. We're, we're in a, uh, if you live in the West, you're going to be fine, uh, as long as you're not in any crazy war-torn area. But it, it's those other groups. It's those, those groups of people who are like, this doesn't make sense. This isn't right. And, uh, and who are struggling. I see the value of that challenge and experience. So you experience that sort of contrast of 10, 15 years of what the hell am I doing here? I don't like this, right? It creates the necessity, necessary kind of ingredients for you to then go, right, now I didn't like that. This is what I do want and this is what I want to go for. So, but the thing I think is that if you haven't really got that uh, confidence and perspective to be able to do that, because for example, like you say, you know, the, the, the ones who are going to drive society forward. So you end up with the ones who are going to do it anyway, even though they went through a system which completely was not, uh, uh, supporting them 
you know, so you end up with, you know, the whatever, like Steve Jobs or whoever who, you know, they would, they would drop out anyway and they're going along the path and they were at the top of that path. So if they continued on the conventional path, well, they were at the top of it anyway. But then it was kind of irrelevant whether that path was there or not because they were, they dropped out and then, you know, shot up further. So there's there's the people who kind of have that ability to be within that conventional structure and yet hold their own vision anyway and go for their vision and that's it. So it doesn't really matter what's going on. But it's almost like a, an initiation process between behind um, going against culture and society. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. and, it, and it's forged in the schools, which try to drown that out. But if you're able to have the perspective and resist and, and still go with the flow as best you can, then uh, you, you, could, you make stronger individuals out of adversity. Yeah, exactly. That is um, not how anyone would ever define what the, like if you ask somebody in school, it's like, yeah, that's what we're doing for, for those people. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they just say, oh, those are, those are problem children. Yeah. Man, man have problem, man get stronger. That's basically <laughs> what's going on. But the thing is that what about all of those people who are, what, what about people who are not able to get out of that? So that, that's what you're saying, right? So like the people in the middle and the ones at the bottom, yeah, they're not able to sort of stand back and separate themselves. So yeah, as a as a liberal, I'd say that that um, uh, when it, it comes to the lower ten percent, because that's where I always found myself was was in the lower ten percent. That was simply because I just wasn't doing the work. I, I didn't I didn't see a need to do two hundred math problems that were the exact same. It's like I I did the first one right, right? Okay, what's the what do I need to do all these other ones? But um, yeah, and and that's the concerning part because the lower ten percent, um, as much as the the, the top ten percent are, are there to to push us forward, give us new technology, uh, expand our our consciousness, uh, the lower ten percent can also uh, hold us back in terms of uh, as a society as a whole. And that's just um, I, I'm just seeing it how it is because the lower ten percent is would, would be your your group of people who end up going to jail and and dropping out of high school and um, and uh, having children out of wedlock and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I'm trying like, I see meditation as a powerful tool here, basically, not yeah. just for those people, because for those people, you can give them the tool. And, but then what about the ones who kind of put them there in the first place? Right. So like there's those who have built that structure or at least who are maybe not who have built it because it's just a legacy now, but the ones who are sort of custodians and stewards of the structure. So, you know, because none of these people are, you know, like like the teachers or the principals or uh, the policy makers, they're not there deliberately trying to screw people over. They're, they're, they think that they're helping and they, they are at least to some significant extent. So it's it's not the the intention the, the, or the concept is not that they're, they're deliberately trying to screw everyone. It's, it's about, you know, do you actually have the tools to see what's right for who is, uh, you know, for, for the people who are sort of using that system and structure? So, for example, why do we, I mean, school is one thing, but like prison systems is completely different things, right? So, okay, like it's a difficult problem to tackle. If you're talking about, you know, criminals who have you know, committed murder or like it, yeah, you know, but you have to separate that out from something like drug use or like yeah. You know, and the ridiculous thing is that we have a we have a system where you basically pick up someone who has uh, you know maybe they sold you know sold marijuana or something or smoked it a couple of times and they got caught and you pick them up and they for all other intents and purposes like they may even be at the top of that kind of like you know ten percent 
that we were talking about. You know, they may they may be uh, someone who is you know highly entrepreneurial and they're going to drive society forward. For example, right? Um, not saying that that is anywhere. You know, I, I won't even I wouldn't say that they're like more valuable of a person. But it's just like from the way that we measure things, like that kind of a person is going to be seen as. So, so you take that person and they've, uh, you know, found, been found in possession of some drug, right? Let's just say marijuana. And you take them and you stick them in the same prison, the same prison as someone who is, who's a serial killer. And it's like, well, what the hell, what do you think the result of this is going to be, by the way? You, like, yeah, somehow you think you're reforming both of them, but you also think that, like, by putting the person who has done who has not committed a crime, really, like from that set, they've, they've not like harmed anyone. You know, you're going to put them with someone else who has, you know, been shown, you know, you know they've committed, you know, they've killed people essentially. And now somehow everything's going to turn out well. No, the most likely scenario to happen is that this, firstly, this person is going to be extremely pissed off. Like how the hell are they in the same place and being treated the same as someone who's killed someone when they may have just been caught in possession of or you know using a drug and yeah. so now you create you're actually like perpetuating a problem and it's just a, the most ridiculous kind of it's it's not logical at all first of all. well yeah so so first and foremost i guess we're all in agreement that um that you shouldn't be thrown into a cage for uh owning plants uh, or having plants on you. And, uh, and th this comes from Terrence McKenna that, um, the, the irony of being arrested for, um, having DMT, um, which happened to one of his friends, he, he was like, it's extremely ironic because your brain, your pineal gland makes DMT. So in a sense, we're all holding. And it's, um, it's so absurd that, um, not only uh, are they prosecuted for, for having plants, it's like, it's, it's just a plant. Like what, what the hell is, uh, is the issue here. And it's like, like, well, it's dangerous. It's this, it's that, it's that. It's like, well, is it really dangerous? It's like, um, compared to something that is legal, like alcohol, like how much, yeah. how much do I have to drink of alcohol till I, I could kill myself? Not that much compared to how much weed that I have to smoke. And, uh, so yeah, we're that, that issue is a, is the issue of our time. It's like, is how we're treating people, uh, improperly with our laws. Yeah. And, and like, and I, I'm not even addressing here the fact that like, Putting a murderer behind a cage is not. I mean, who said that's the best solution either? Like, but I, I yeah. fine. Like, I won't even. Let's not even address that bit. Like, forget that for the moment. Let's just assume that that is the right solution. It's definitely not the right solution to put someone who hasn't committed, who hasn't hurt. Forget about committed murder. Like, hasn't even hurt another person, and yeah. put them in the same place. It's like that's just ridiculous. Before you even start to question whether even putting the murderer in prison. Because how are you reforming that person and helping them to like reintegrate into society and to see the error of their ways and et cetera, et cetera. You know, like you probably need to figure out how to, you need to like overload this person with love and compassion so that they feel that love and compassion so that they can now be a beacon of that instead of building up hate that you've basically, you know, they made. And, and, and the other thing is like, the, uh, you know, there, there will definitely be a small, proportion of people who have committed murder very deliberately and they've planned it out and it's it was a highly sort of conscious effort but um yeah. having having read some yeah i recently listened to this interview by um uh, it was a podcast where a so it was like a british indian 
gang member. He was, he was like a uh, like a, a drug lord and you know uh, running some crime ring in the north of England. And uh, he you know after being in prison for whatever like fifteen twenty years, then you know he's come out and he's completely changed and he's like written a book and now he's uh, doing uh, you know youth work to tr- uh, you know to try and prevent people. Uh, like young kids going into gangs and things like that. So it was a really interesting podcast because it, what he was it, what he was saying was, uh, you know, the vast majority of uh, people in prison who have committed murder, they were all high for sh- like they were all high when they did that. Because uh, and when when I say high, I don't necessarily mean like you know they were on weed. I mean like they were on a cocktail and concoction of things, right? Because uh, and and the reason he was saying is because he said. It's extremely difficult for someone to kill another person. Like emotionally, it's very like it's very very difficult for you to do that. And we know this from like PTSD or so you know uh, symptoms from soldiers and things you know where where they are you know where they are legitimately you know they're tasked with going and killing an enemy. But in that scenario where you know you where where essentially you know you've got the legal backing of your government to go out and do this and you're you're still going to be like quite far removed because you're probably using a gun from like some distance imagine like actually going with i don't know like a knife or something or like point blank range and you know you see the, you directly see the impact of what you've done it's extremely emotionally difficult so obviously i i'm not at all talking from any level of understanding or experience like first yeah, time yeah i mean well i'll jump in real quick yeah. the um yeah because uh, we're yeah we're actually, well, we're making a i mean i was in the marines so i i okay. i've had to envision it imagine it uh, very yeah. seriously but um yeah. we're doing we're making a course right now where we one of the course videos is about rights and wrongs. And the only difference between a right and a wrong is that rights is just any action that does not cause harm to anybody. And, and any wrong is a wrong that causes harm to people. And, um, and the first wrong that there is, there's only six wrongs really that, that you can do. The first one is murder. And um, it's murder and, and it's a wrong. And they figured out that it was a wrong, um, not because people were trying to protect themselves and be like, we got to stop all these murderers. It's because when you murder somebody, you feel terrible. You feel really, really, really shitty about yourself. And, um, and, and it's a natural thing. It's the same thing with, with, if you do the other wrongs, you feel bad about it and, and things just start being bad in your life. It's like you're, you're gaining, um, uh, negative karmic energy, essentially. You're going against natural law and, and it's a terrible thing. And, and when you brought up the, the PTSD thing, uh, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this is accurate, but, um, I, I'm 80%, I'm a hundred percent sure in the fact that, that it would uh, help uh, affect people with PTSD. So people don't experience PTSD when you kill somebody. The difference between killing and murder is that when you're killing somebody, it's because you're defending yourself. They're trying the, another person is trying to enact, uh, is trying to murder you and you defend yourself. That's called the non-aggression principle. It's, it's well within your rights to defend yourself when you're being attacked. So what they did in with the Marines in around, around 2010, because they're getting all this PTSD, everyone's coming back PTSD because they're in a city and they're just going around willy nilly, like not like Vietnam crazy, but like, but if they thought that somebody was about to shoot them or if they had a gun, they would go and point and shoot and, and shoot, ask questions later. And that was in order. They, they thought it made sense that we're defending ourselves. And they realized that later on that they, that they shot at somebody who was unarmed or they shot at a kid or their, their rounds missed completely and, and hit somebody else. So they changed the doctrine, uh, the Marine Corps doctrine to you keep your weapon, 
not at the ready, uh, face down until somebody is actually shooting at you. And the Marines hated it. Everyone on the ground was like, this is going to get us killed. This is terrible. And it actually ended up dropping uh, PTSD rates because now the, the only people that they shoot at are shooting at them. And they know that for a fact. Why? Because they're getting shot at. And it's a, it's a very cut and dry system. And that actually really lowered the, the amount of PTSD that, that uh, mm-hmm. people are experiencing because innocent lives aren't being murdered. And then take a step backwards and it's like, well, you still shouldn't be in their freaking country uh, halfway around the world blowing up their, their streets, but that's a whole, whole different, uh, whole different conversation. Mm. So, so yeah, everything that you're saying is in line, uh, very accurately. And, and especially with the, I mean, just, just go inside your head and, and, you, you know, utilize your meditative skills and, and imagine the idea of, of ending somebody's life. It, it's uh, gruesome. It's a gruesome feeling. Yeah. And, uh, everyone has it except for people who don't have feelings, which are psychopaths. Uh, yeah. Well, that's uh, awesome. yeah. And that, so that's, Exactly. So, so that was the whole point around. Well, so then, is the solution to take this person who feels, you know, who, who, who? That yes, they've committed the biggest wrong, and they've hurt that entire person's family, etc. And but then, how are you preventing that from happening again, or how are you actually solving the problem by sticking the person in a cage for the rest yeah. of their life? That's an interesting question because there is one percent of the population that are psychopaths, right? So those people you probably would never. Well, you you can't from the studies rehabilitate them. But there's the other ninety nine percent. I don't know how many of that ninety nine ended up in jail, but rehabilitation is is a real possibility. So how do you? do that and, and yeah, i think well, the, the other thing too is that is that psychopaths um are much h- harder to arrest because they don't feel bad that's the key if, if you ever read um dostoevsky's uh crime and punishment the detective in it was like was like oh i don't um i don't arrest people i just wait till they come and um come and uh, confess and um that's what ended up happening at the end of the book and um psychopaths don't have that experience they don't have this feeling of remorse so it's like um they they feel like they're, they're getting away scot-free what I, I was, I'm trying to summarize everything, Vikram, you, you've talked about, and, and it seems like you, what well, you're real, the main point of your thing, your discussion so far is dysfunctionality across uh, the society. Like mm, we, we yeah. talked about in, in school, right? We talked at the other's extreme in prison, and I, and we mentioned it briefly in, in the corporate workplace, because there's a level of dysfunctionality there, because we've both experienced it, right? And, and it's interesting to me to sit back and, and see why are the major institutions in our society, in Western society, set up in a way that there is so much dysfunctionality from the perspective of holding people back from being their total selves. And, and their total selves has to incorporate that spiritual side, right? So a lot of these institutions ignore that to begin with. So th- that's a major problem. Another problem is that they focus on process because they're mostly government controlled um well the the two ends of the extremes are and since they're more process controlled they're more about keeping like having a set task that everyone follows and and no one moves outside of that And, and that kind of is the opposite of what you were trying to do with your dance right get out there dance experience life in commune with the divine there is no divine set up in any of these institutions and and i think um, the, going back to the course me and Justin were working on, we when we talked about natural law, hermetic principles, philosophy, it came back to what is your initiating emotion 
to move things forward? Like, do you come from a place of love or a place of fear, right? In corporations, for example, I, I realized, and based on what you said, there's a lot of fear in there. There's a lot of fear related to your performance, meeting your deadlines. That motivates you in most times. It's, it's the, I think the rarer cases, like a Steve Jobs is motivated by adding value to the world. So there, there's definitely fear in the corporate. And, and I'm tr trying to think about um, in schools. Like I remember thinking in grade schools, there wasn't a lot of motivation around love and expanding your consciousness. Like, there was actually none of that. It was, it was more fear-based and, and meeting your goals, graduating. And, and prison is definitely the same thing, too. So in every major institution, I think the majority of people approach it from that fear-based mentality, which I think is causing a lot of these issues there isn't a lot of love in focus on expanding one's consciousness which is what you're trying to do with the meditation right and and when you look at it from that context what you're trying to do with the meditation is probably like the most important thing that can be done because it'll move people within the well in, this, in your example in the corporate world to being more heart-based it'll get them out of um it'll deregulate their stress hormones and put them into a balanced uh, chemistry in, in their in their body, which will enable them to expand their consciousness, right? It's, it's fear that contracts us and, and keeps us small and keeps us tired. So I'm just, I'm just talking out loud of stream of consciousness in order to kind of explain in my mind. You're, you're applying structure to mine yeah. and Justin's ramblings, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make sense of what you guys said. <laughs> well, good luck. I, I'm taking notes here, but I'm all over the place, man. I can't, I can't draw a line that connects everything. No, I think, that's a, I think that's a very good summary and actually quite succinct kind of thread through all of this. Um, yeah, I usually just let Anthony clean up my messes <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so so i i think you've articulated you know that that it really well actually so i i didn't actually think about can, can i just add one thing so then i'm thinking what is the solution to that problem right exactly that's exactly where my mind went to right uh, so my mind went to a dark place because it, i can't see a solution to the problem in the current consciousness that the vast majority of people are in it's i can't see how like when you turn on the tv and you see all the fear-based media that's it's like food right it's saturating your cells with a, a certain frequency that is not conducive to moving us towards more of a of an expanded consciousness approach to life and unless and it's almost like unless you do take that 10-day retreat and you can expand yourself and, and get more balanced it would almost take every, like, I would say, I don't know, picking this number out of my ass, but half the world to go away on a 10-day retreat, get balanced and come back, and then maybe we would have a chance of changing things, right? I think that, yeah, so interesting point. So firstly, this is, I think, where I've, where I've sort of got to from seeing the kind of dance and the meditation and everything. Like, so again, like if I if I move from that, if you if I move from the kind of like, one size fits all. Here's the structure of how our institutions work, fear-based, etc. And then you look at the kind of exactly how you summarized for the dance and the free flow and all that. So the kind of consistent view, if you look at that kind of free flow dance thing, to answer what you just said is, well, I, not everyone needs that 10-day retreat. Because, firstly, because actually that 10-day retreat might not have that same effect on everyone. But everyone has a different 
a, a different, you know, like point of connecting into that frequency. Yeah, so, so some people need 30 days. <laughs> for some people, it might be 30 days. For some people, it might be, you know, go for a walk in nature. For some people, it might be dance. For some people, it might be sit down and do a math problem 300 times in a row. And, and that's the thing. And we've got, we've, got a, we've got a structure which has basically said, oh, here is the solution. And that's been imposed on everyone. Right. And so and the irony of that is that the people who you see at the top of our societal ladder have nothing to do with any of these structures. <laughs> yeah. They, they usually despise them. I, I think I always point to Jeff whenever somebody says, like, oh, you have to meditate, you have to do this uh, to get spiritual. And I'm like, no, no, no I, I have a buddy. Uh, he doesn't meditate, but if he did, he would have a good time meditating simply because he's out in nature all the time. He's out in the ocean, he's in the sea, and he's he's going on adventures and he's expanding his known and going out into the unknown and making that known. And he so, does that. Yeah. So I would say he is meditating. Exactly. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. That, that's a walking meditation. Well, it's it's so so that's the thing. Like, what, um, again, meditation doesn't mean sitting down cross-legged no. with your eyes closed. Mm -hmm. um, that's one form of meditation. That's the most ob that's the most well-known form of meditation. And it's the most obvious form where you're meditating because what else are you doing if you're sitting down with your eyes? You're either sleeping or you're meditating. <laughs> you know? but, the, but that's the thing, again, like from the external, and this is the thing, meditation has nothing to do with the external. Nobody cares, right? It's a fully internal experience. So if I'm... So and 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 if you again listen to what Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, um, you know any any of these these kind of people that you, whatever even like Al, read Albert Einstein's quotes and all that it's all consistent with spirituality and what you would expect someone to say about the description of their meditative experience is exactly the kinds of things you hear from people who are in this kind of flow state doing whatever the hell they're doing, whether they're like, you know, rock climbing, like Wim Hof, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, and Wim Hof's an interesting example because he's basically said, yeah, here's my meditation. I take my clothes off and I get out into the snow and roll around, right? And like I go and I jump in an ice bath. And then like once he's made the connection for us and linked it and stuck a bit of yoga and breathing exercises in, then you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And now it's a product which you can go and say like, oh, here's a you know meditation kind of product or whatever. But until he made that link, it's like, well, how the hell does that connect, right? Um, or but like, and then and then again, you know, same Wim Hof. You know, he, he was before the whole Iceman thing. You know, he was a climber as well, right? Like. Um, he, he did rock climbing and all that. And essentially, if you read what he says about that, it was, again, a similar kind of thing. That was his kind of like way of going into the mindless state. And, and it's the same sort of thing with professional musicians. And again, what's the aim here? The aim isn't to sit down cross-legged and close your eyes. The aim is to go into that place of love, which is coming from your internal resonance with that divine frequency. But let's let's get rid of all of those terms that, you know, it's basically going, it's going to that sort of like mindless state. And for everyone, that kind of access point is whatever it is. And I think that I think like the most important thing is to help people find what the access point is for themselves, because that's the exact opposite 
of the way our society is structured. Our society is structured by saying, here is what you need to do. Go to school. And when you go to school, you have to learn this, not that. Like, forget about that thing you want to learn. This is what you have to learn. Right. And once you've learned that, then you need to do this. Oh, we'll give you a few choices. You can either do like science and maths, or you can do English and drama. We'll give you that choice. But after that, yeah, good luck. So, you know, and then, and then fine, like you get to university and whatever, and like you've got a million careers that you could choose from. But if you're doing that career, well, that's the career you need to do. And, and by the way, the aim is to get to the top of the ladder. Who said I want to be at the top of the ladder? Why should I be at the top of, why do you think being at the top of the ladder is the, and, and why is this ladder structured so that it eats up? You know, for me to climb that ladder, I basically have to take time away from myself, my family, and my interests in order to earn money to get to the top of some random ladder, which I don't even, and, and, okay, so, and then, fine, so let's say all that, then you get to the top of the ladder. Now read what people say about being at the top of the ladder. They hate it. <laughs> so it's interesting, like reading Russell Brand and like listening to what he says as well. Right? It's like, so Russell Brand was absolutely focused on like being famous. That was his dream and mission. He got to the top, he became very famous, and he was like, oh, this doesn't seem to solve my internal addictions. Emptiness. Yeah. yeah, all my. So uh, he so continued to be an addict. So it's like, you're trying to solve an internal void with external things and not even external things that you've come up with, external things that someone else has come up with and said that this will solve your void. But if that person followed that path, they haven't solved it either. So what the hell is going on? So Vikram, I don't know if you noticed it, but you came up with the solution to everything about two minutes back. Oh. <laughs> And the solution is, is brilliant. It's, it's really simple. It's in grade school, when kids are small, you got to teach, you got to be able to teach them what their access point is, right? Okay. I think, I think if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. Seriously. And, and that's now that I'm thinking out loud again, that should be the prime goal of every school, like in the first kindergarten, grade one, teach them their method for access and the divine or whatever you want to call it. That place where their heart math refers to it as coherence, where the brain and the heart are coherent, right? Where you have access to incredible uh, creativity. And then every grade from then on, you have a period in time where you get coherence, right? Instead of sleeping on damn map, mats and having some uh, orange juice, you get coherence, right? And, and you follow that through until into high school. You, yeah. you make it. You make it a habit, and you make and you make people realize that that's what the most important thing that they have to learn because it connects them to that part of them that is the t- t- totality of them. Yeah, that's brilliant. Vikram, yeah. I wrote Boom. that down. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I just wrote it down. I wrote it down. I wrote so, it down. Now this is the thing, right? So like, um, so Gary Vaynerchuk. Have you guys heard of him? Yeah. 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 So no, Gary, I haven't. I haven't been on the internet since 2004. Who's, who's oh, the yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, like that's that's uh, why you've got that haircut. So, uh, <laughs> so, so Gary V, right? So like his his whole. Thing is there is, anything more fun than making fun of Justin? No. Oh no, absolutely not. That's my access point to it all. That's Vigram's access point. <laughs> so, so so Gary V's whole thing, right? Is so anyone who asks him the question of like. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm 25. I don't know what to do with my life. Like, what's my purpose? He's like, well, do, do anything. Just do anything. Like, just keep trying loads of stuff. 
And basically what he's saying is, figure out what your access point is. You won't figure out what your access point is if the only thing you do is the thing you're doing now, right? So if you're, if you're only learning maths, if you, if you enjoy maths, then fine. Maybe that is your access point. But you actually don't know because you haven't done anything else. So exactly. So what you say, you know, like teach people what the access point is. And the way, and you don't need to teach anyone anything really, like chuck a bunch of stuff at them, get them. So, you know, it, so, so, you know, obviously, you know, when Gary Vee is saying it, he's addressing teenagers, young people, anyone, but to be honest, anyone after that who says like, you're 75, I don't know what my passion is. Well, try a bunch of stuff. Like it's the answer for anything. Right. So, you know, but if you're a kid, you don't necessarily have that uh, level of agency. I would argue that you do to some extent anyway, but you don't necessarily have that level of agency where you can just go and try whatever the hell you want. So fine. So in that school environment or parents and uh, teachers, so just expose the kids to as much as you possibly can and let them figure out what the hell they enjoy. I mean, exactly. actually the interesting thing is looking at my brother. So he's extremely creative and like, so he does drawing, he does, he taught himself how to code. He basically taught himself how to like, do design and so he's done like all the branding for basically anything that i've needed branding for in the last 15 years of my life you know he, he produces music right but all this stuff like there's nowhere that he went to school and learned this stuff he learned himself and then, so again like th this is like the power of the internet right like that you don't you can just go and do it anyway yourself so you already have that we, and we know that it's again, it's obvious. We know this, but a lot of us have the fear which comes in and says, yeah, but I'm an economist. So that's, you know, what's the point of me learning dance? I can't make a living out of it. And why do you even need to make a living out of it? Like there's so many assumptions in that sentence of like, there's so many assumptions topped on top of each other that um, that you can just go and break down. But uh, what I would say is, yeah, the interesting thing there is like, um, I think people, it's just a matter of like uncovering what the access point is. And at the early stage of our life, if we're not exposed to enough things, then we haven't had enough exposure to see what the access point is. But then afterwards, we can restrict ourselves with all our assumptions to say, I don't even, I don't, Whatever the, and you can have a million excuses. So I don't know, you know, the excuses. I haven't got enough money to try out other things. I haven't got enough time. Why should I? I've already trained in this, blah, blah, blah. Whatever the hell it is, it, it doesn't matter. But they're sort of self imposed constraints where you're basically then saying, I'll resign to a life of mediocrity and misery because for whatever reason, I'm not going to figure out what my access point is. But then we've created a structure which is not helping you to figure that out either. We've created a structure where, where that solution is imposed on you earlier and now you're kind of, you go with that. And the people who can get themselves out of that are the ones with that enough of a vision and strength and courage, like the same examples we keep saying over and over again, which then become the most prominent people in our society because they've just, all they've done is gone with the vision that they had inside of them instead of the thing that was lumped on top of them. Exactly. I'm, I'm just let, I'm letting that, those last couple of uh, lines kind of like integrate within myself because there, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of wisdom there. And the, the irony of that is then we fear doing that 
something which is aligned with ourself and misaligned with society. But actually, when we see those other people do that, it's misaligned with society, and we call that disruption, and we call that innovation. And then society over time realigns with that person's misaligned vision. <laughs> so you now, so now you go, Elon Musk, what the hell are you talking about? You're going to build a bloody society on Mars. And then it's like, and then over a period of five, 10 years, it's like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're you know, we're going to build a society on Mars. And so it's just like, okay, yeah, Elon Musk is going for building a society on Mars. And now you've got a whole bunch of space rocket companies who are trying to send humans out into space on holiday to Mars. <laughs> but my, so my point is like, you know, that whatever, it's someone comes and creates that vision. That vision is at odds with, with what society thinks is the path. But then almost without fail, society then moves to that vision. That's essentially like the story of Jesus. Right? crucified for this vision of I am the path to God. And not without going into all of the details of that, which I'm sure we might end up going into anyway, but that, that's kind of like, it's, this, it's the symbol for... It's, it's, the, the, uh, hmm? it's the revolutionary hero. It's um, the, the revolutionary hero and um, strangers, foreigners, and all this stuff, they, they offer, and it, they, they weaken the society at their at the societal foundation and they're actually they actually get lumped in with um natural disasters over the course of of, of time uh because they they can really shake things like so for for example elon saying you first say it and it sounds completely insane and then you see what this guy can do and that he's not a threat to the culture itself and then you just start accepting him as as a hero the revolutionary hero always starts out as a terrorist if mm. if um uh, if the americans didn't didn't uh, free themselves um, during uh, the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. uh, George Washington would be known as a terrorist. <laughs> and, and that's how, a, that, that, that's the process of, of that, that, that sort of system. What I would like to say is um, being around artists, I don't know if you guys have ever been around artists for um, a large number or for um, I, a I large live time. with one. Do you? It's yeah. being He's around... Really, I, I, <laughs> I find them very liberating because artists usually don't think um, the, the same way the majority of people do, right? I, I am the artist, Anthony. I, I hope I wasn't lost on that. <laughs> oh, do you? I thought you had a... Okay. <laughs> I don't think of you as an artist, Justin. No? No. I, I can articulate. What is, what is your art? My art My art is being offended. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an artist. Wait, now that you said it, I, I can see you as an artist in some ways. Like, not, yeah. not in the classical way, but uh, your your attention and usage of language. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I create things too. I, I feel like that that's the, um, uh, when, once you're creating things and and, um, and doing that in a unique and structured way, um, then you're you're an artist. Right. Well, with artists, I don't know, I think structure is kind of like the antithesis of what, what they're trying to do. No, I mean, you need the structure or the paintbrush doesn't look right. Like well, the, the, you, need to, you need to know the structure, but once once the creative process flows, the, you got to go where it goes. It, it, but yeah. you, you wouldn't be able to do that without the um, without being able to control the paintbrush. For for the example of the the painter, you need to know how your tools work. Because if you got something beautiful inside your brain, congrats, you're just like everybody else. Everybody else can can paint something perfectly inside their mind. Uh, it's getting it out into the real world that's the challenge. 
Okay, I, I think we're um, differing on definitions here. So let, let me move forward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the point I was trying to make with artists is that they, they seem to naturally understand what their access point is. And I don't know whether that's because they utilize more of their right brain and by doing that, like you, you intuitively know what that access point is. And, and Victor, maybe we should define, when you say access point, I'm referring to uh, being able to connect with with yourself internally in a meaningful way so that you always know like your true, no, true north. You always know like what's right for you and, and what your soul or your being wants to do. Is that what you refer, you're referring to when you say access point? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm referring to whatever it is that gets you to that feeling yes. uh, and connection with your true self. And we were saying that, you know, meditation is an access point. Right. And then saying that actually, you know, the form that that meditation takes could be, is different for different people. Right. So rock climbing could be an access point. You know, running could be an access point. Maths could be an access point, depending on, so you figuring out what your access point is. Yeah. So, so we're aligned. That, that, I was yeah. thinking of it in the same way too. Did you consider yourself a, an artist in any way? I would say I, I create, consider myself a creator. Well, you have to with the dance. I was, yeah, yeah. by the way, I was watching one of your videos, and the amount of energy in that video was was shocking in, in a positive way to, for, yeah. for me, right? Because I remember the video was starting, you kind of just standing there with people around you, and all of a sudden, boom, there you are, boom, yeah, and it was it was amazing. I'm going, holy! I thought there was going to be a little build up, but no build up, boom, you're there. Build up. And this is the point, right? This is why, like, it's interesting to consider this an access point. Because yes. once you've accessed great that, example of an access point, boom, right? So yeah. it's, it's like, it's just the image I have, like, you know, there's a tank of water and your access point, you open up the tap and boom, there's this, this flood of powerful pressure, which is just coming to you. And, and that's the point that like, it's, this is why it's so important because it's a, it's an exponential change in what, whatever it is you're doing right yeah. it's a step change absolute step change so no. swami vivekanand has this uh, you know there's a there's a quote from swami vivekanand where he basically says if i could live my life again i would fashion the perfect tool and then no it's a i would train myself to be the perfect tool and then go out and do my work in the world and the way i interpret that in in this sense is i would find that access point before I try to then go out and solve problems or live my life, because it, it's, it's, you're essentially, it's, it, it, it's like saying, um, it's basically saying, you know, let me sharpen my saw first. And, but let me, let me go and pick up the right saw for, you know, or the right tool for the job first. And when you've got that right tool, your, the results of whatever it is you're doing are going to be dramatically different. Right? If you haven't accessed that powerful energy that you haven't figured out, you don't even know where it is, right? You're just, you're living life in a state of mediocrity by definition, right? right? You could be doing amazing things, but they're nothing compared to what you could be doing when you've got that energy behind you. Or you don't, yeah, even, you don't even know there's an access point. Well, that, well that's, yeah. this is the other thing too, that, that uh, we're kind of dancing around and, and I've been thinking about it uh, for about 20 minutes now. Yeah, the good, 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 good is, use of phrasing there. Yeah, is 
and, and this is where it gets, this is where the stuff gets spiritual and, and kind of strange is, is, um, this access point. Um, what are you accessing to? Is this you uh, as a person, or is this some sort of divine entity, uh, utilizing you as the tool uh, from that, that quote, or like as a tuning fork or some sort of receiver for this divine, uh, thing that, that, you know, when you, when you, in, in, in the rapper world you, or in a hip hop world, you have um, Kanye West. And he's always talking about the genius and he is fully aware. And so is uh, Slim Shady Eminem. They're fully aware that they're not in control of the genius or what a, a Slim Shady would call the, uh, the moment in, in the song, lose yourself in the moment you own it in the moment you own it. And then you try to not let it ever go, but it will go away eventually. Is that some sort of divine entity or is this actually just you getting into a super focused state and you creating this thing? Um, and that, that's where things get spiritual and, 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 and woo woo ish, uh, when you start questioning that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And again, from like an external perspective and a, it doesn't necessarily matter, right? Because from, from, from one perspective, you can say that, well, whatever it is you're accessing. So, okay. Well, actually, I would say it a different way that, um, in order to sell this to those who don't <laughs> believe in, in this, this, in spirituality, it doesn't really matter. You're ex- you, we know we're accessing something and we know, and whatever it is, we know that the thing that, that once you, it's like, you know, you basically, you basically sell it on the results rather than whatever the process is. And okay. So then, then I would, and I would, what I would argue is that actually what spirituality is, spirituality is essentially the study of that thing that we're accessing. It's, it's a whole, spirituality is an entire, body of knowledge to deconstruct and identify and understand and explore what the hell is that thing that we access that's what spirituality essentially is right it's saying like so what is that thing that is animating all life what is that we don't know what it and and so that's why it's called spirituality because we we say oh it's the spirit right there we go we've labeled it now so now we've labeled it now we can we've made you know we've we've called it something now we can measure that thing and we can try and figure out what it is now um so yeah that's a whole fascinating discussion as well but i would say yeah and and i'd say you know this is obviously because uh, of the environment in which i'm trying to bring this out so uh, that's why i would argue it doesn't really matter what it is you're accessing at the moment so in order to sell this thing, we're just aware that we're accessing something and different people call it different things and whatever. But yeah, now that other interesting discussion is, right, so what the hell is it that you're accessing, by the way? <laughs> and where is this power and energy coming from? Yeah. Well, when, when you experience it, I mean, when I first experienced it through meditation um, years ago, my first question was, what was that? And mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. And um, so... I don't know. I think that the question is inevitable, but, uh, if you're trying to, uh, you, you leave that for, for the last couple of weeks of the course, as, as opposed to telling people about it, uh, uh, on the, on the first end, but, uh, people are going to have that interaction and they're going to start wondering, oh, is this me? Yeah. Is this God? Is this, uh, my ancestors? Is the, what is this, the genius? That, that, that's where the, the, the philosophizing comes in. Quite- I, think, I also think like, um, you know, recently and just over the years, I've also fluctuated in my, let's say like, I say my belief and my thinking around spirituality and, well, and religion. And when I say religion, I mean Hinduism, 
And what I've noticed that I've done in the past is I've thrown the baby out with the bathwater where I've gone, well, nobody knows what that is, right? Nobody knows what is behind that access point and what is God and what is spirit. We don't know. We don't know for certain. But what we do know is that there's something powerful there and we experience that. And I've experienced it. You've experienced it. So I think the, the, the place where like I've got stuck before in the past is when I try to intellectualize it. Because when you intellectualize it, you think it away and you get rid of it. <laughs> but, and precisely because it's not there, it can't be intellectualized. And the, the, and so the, the sort of like the kind of behavior and dis- actions I've taken in the past is then, all right, well, since I can't intellectualize this, I'm going to forget about the concept of God and I'm going to assume and I'm going to conclude that there is none. And I'm going to conclude that spirituality is pointless. But that's the wrong conclusion. Because by doing that, then I'm also saying I'm not going to search for my access point anymore because I can't explain what it is that I'm accessing. And so that's the sort of erroneous thought, like process. chain of thought yeah, and process that I've had before, which is why then now I, I'm, more, I'm more careful to sort of say, okay, well, especially with, with others, I'm more careful to sort of say, all right, we don't know what that thing that we're accessing is. But let's just do this activity, right? Let's do the meditation. Let's do the dancing. Let's do whatever it is and experience for yourself that you're accessing something. Now, if you're interested in the exploration of what is that, well, that is essentially what spirituality is. That's also what science is trying to figure out as well, right? But separate that out from, like, just because you can't get to a conclusion on what is that thing that we're accessing, let's not pretend that we're not accessing something and let's not get rid of the activity itself well um, look, look, look at it uh, at the, this way as i try to explain this um through some some imagery and, and stuff but I, I always look at just look at the left brain right brain so you get the left brain that's your intellect and then the right brain and we know that the the right brain has the imagination creativity big picture stuff and um and is essentially what we're talking about when we're talking about spirituality in this example and all that I'm trying to do with, with my left brain when I'm trying to understand the right brain is I'm never going to try to understand the totality of, of uh, spirituality or any of this stuff. But what I do utilize my left brain for is to mine into or build bridges to the right brain. So I have multiple ways in order to be able to describe to the best of my ability the experiences on that other plane. And, and then I build a bridge or mine take out the whatever little bits of, of nuggets that I can take out, like the little diamond pieces and, and little pieces of gold and then take it back and show it to people. And you can only show it to people because language is in the left brain through conversating dialogue and explaining and, and, and explanation. And then, um, and if let's say I do a, a mine or build a bridge and then there's nothing over there for that section, or I just don't understand it. No big deal. I'll just try another section because this thing is literally infinite. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I would never try to try to box the whole thing up and, but just take out the little nuggets and what I, what I can hold in my hands and bring it back and leave those bridges and structures there, which are just processes of thinking and try to make those bridges and, and, and shafts bigger and thicker and stronger so they don't get destroyed by nihilism or, or thoughts of, of meaninglessness and, and despair and all that stuff. And, and that's sort of how I utilize the left brain and, and, and interacting with the right brain. It's solely 
in order to, and, and the only way for that all to work is, is that you have to incorporate the idea of teaching and, uh, and helping others because you need to, you need somebody there to explain it to, or else you just like me and you're, you're talking to yourself all day, trying to explain what had happened, uh, last night while you were meditating. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, I, yeah, that, that reminds me, Anthony. Uh, so yeah. Vikram, we were talking to Adam on Thursday, right? And Anthony had to leave early. And one of uh, Adam, one of Adam's, um, uh, meditations that he does. And he's like, he's like, I don't really do meditation, but, but what I do do is for like half an hour, I talk out loud through issues and I just talk and I talk and I talk and I'm like, ah, I'm not the only crazy person who talks to themselves all day. And he's like, yeah. And it's very meditative. And that's how I feel too. That's right. So that there are two crazy people now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except, except that technically he probably has some chickens that he's actually talking to. So <laughs> crazy than him because you're literally not talking to anyone. I, I've won so many arguments by myself. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, those are the only ones you won. Yeah. <laughs> but when you lose, that's got to be heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, when I lose, I learn. So <laughs> I'm like, wow, good point, Justin. That was amazing. But then you get to mock yourself. I, I'm not sure what that feels like. <laughs> uh, just feels like hanging out with Vikram. <laughs> <laughs> with or without the ponytail. <laughs> I I would have kept it and sent it to you if if I knew that it yeah, if you yeah, liked it that much. Yeah, yeah that would have been uh, highly appropriate. <laughs> so well, that that was my nickname, Justin. Highly appropriate, Skabinski. Yep. Vikram, I think we've almost been at this for about almost two hours. Um, and, and I think uh, last time you were on, I think it was the the longest podcast we've ever done, <laughs> which, which talks to two points. One is that we, re- we really enjoyed talking to you. And the other one is that uh, when you're here, we engage in conversation that uh, expands everyone's consciousness, which, which is the, the purpose of this, these podcasts to begin with. Um, I would so, say it probably would be longer if you hadn't summarized our train of thoughts. So, uh, <laughs> thanks uh, that's right. We, we still would have been talking about prison <laughs> inappropriate prison activities and processes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh vikram is there anything else you you want to talk about well we could go on for hours but uh um, that's true but i think yeah no that's um it's just the like you're saying justin about basically you know your your left brain is there it's almost like what you're saying is it's an interesting concept, right? So you're saying like, um, so right brain is the creative part of our brain. And that's essentially, you know, like, you know, that's connected with the access point, you could say, or like, you know, that's the access point and that's connected with that, that spiritual realm. And that's sort of being fed by this infinite mine of creativity. And mm. yet you can't do anything with it unless it gets channeled out into this, into the world through the left brain and its sort of translation of that conceptual feeling-based knowledge and wisdom, which just, you know, wells up inside you. And it can't go anywhere unless you figured out how to write or speak or dance or move or use your, you know, you, so we require that societal conditioning of our left brain in order to create a modicum of communication and a common platform with which other people can actually understand us. And that allows us then to translate that infinite 
well of creativity into something that someone else can actually pick up and understand and and by doing that now you you create a loop where it's now connecting into their left brain and feeding their right brain which is already you know an infinite mind of itself and it's being fed by this other infinite mind and that's a really interesting like i'm just thinking of like the shapes <laughs> and the you know like that's like an infinite loop um well it's it's intelligence so intelligence the word is just in intellect and gents which is gender which is like genesis uh like the book of genesis it gender just means creation mm. so intelligence is you have to have the intellect the the structure to actually put something out there in in the real world that that people can recognize and that has meaning and then the whole other part the 99 percent, the thing that we say that that's art as opposed to that's just a, a mound or something uh, that's the uh the creative aspect of it and then that that's when it's always bringing these two seemingly completely opposing forces together in, in some sort of alchemical wedding of some sort. And, um, and then showing it to people being like, look what I brought, uh, look what I brought from the unknown. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, boom. So this podcast was about intelligence and consciousness. Yeah. Moving from dysfunction to real intelligence. I like that. I, that's going to be the caption for it. I did not realize that we were almost at two hours. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. That's always been our measure of a good podcast. If time goes by quickly without you even realizing it, um, that just... I can slow it down significantly yeah. for you if you wish. <laughs> or you could just make more fun of Justin either way. Yeah, that's well, I mean, that's, that's, that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, maybe I can clear the, my calendar for the rest of the day. We could spend two hours doing just that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind a roast <laughs> <laughs> on a Sunday. Yeah. Vicar, it's been great to have you on the spiritual hustle again. Uh, we, we definitely need to do this again.